here, and welcome back to the Get Real About Safety podcast, where we discuss the new view of safety, what works, what doesn't work, and try to break down old paradigms and assist you to improve safety performance in your organization. Let's talk today about risk perception, risk tolerance, and risk assessment. These are all extremely important, critical, if you will, components of effectively managing safety and health. In the light of the COVID-19 crisis, understanding potential weaknesses in those areas is pretty darn important. Risk perception is the judgments that people make about the threats around them. And there are three components to that. One is the perceived likelihood or the probability that someone will be harmed by the hazard. Second one is perceived susceptibility. That's an individual's vulnerability to a hazard. And the third one is severity, perceived severity, the extent of harm that a hazard would cause. An example of a skewed perceived susceptibility is the perception by many that because they are relatively young, they won't get sick or they won't get seriously sick if they get infected by the virus. Of course, we all know that's not necessarily true. People are generally bad at risk perception. In some cases, our emotions come into play and we tend to ignore risks that don't play into our ideology, our group norms, or our politics. Research has found that we tend to shape our opinions to agree with the tribes, the groups with which we most strongly identify. And this happens in the workplace with a work group. People may also choose to ignore risks because of immediate short-term pleasures. That is normal behavior. Behavior is based upon consequences. Soon certain positive consequences are more powerful than late uncertain and negative consequences. Soon certain and negative consequences, like putting your hand on a hot stove, is also a strong motivator. A lot of what we do in safety is based upon late uncertain and negative motivation or consequences. A good example of that in safety is when a worker must wear respiratory protection. The consequence of wearing a respirator is soon certain and negative. I think all of us are becoming aware of that as we tend to wear more face masks and respirators out there. Basically, wearing a respirator is not fun right here, right now, and the consequence is soon certain and negative. Getting ill from respiratory exposures or exposure to the virus might not happen, or if it does happen, is down the road. It's uncertain, because you may or may not get sick. It's negative if it does happen. So the immediate pain in the neck factor of wearing a respirator easily outweighs the uncertainty of whether or not you eventually get ill. Not wearing a respirator, on the other hand, is soon certain and positive to the worker. Right here, right now, it feels better to not wear the respirator. What are the impacts of that in the light of COVID-19? I think it's obvious that some people will resist wearing a face mask because of the consequences that we talked about. Risk tolerance is another component here, and it's defined as the willingness of a worker or a group to take safety risks. And as a side note, let's just make the point that we cannot avoid all risk, not in the workplace, 
certainly not in our personal lives today. If in the workplace we try to eliminate all risk, we will not do work and we will not have a company. And that's part of the reason we're seeing the tug pull between the staying shut down or the opening up conversations that we're having right now. So risk tolerance. Risk tolerance is the willingness of a worker or a group to take safety risks. There are three key processes involved in risk tolerance. One is hazard identification. Do we have visual or sensory input that identifies a situation that creates a risk? Do I see it? Do I see the hazard? Risk perception is the next component. And that's where we process our sensory information to determine exactly how and to what extent those hazards impact our safety. Or do I understand the risk? Risk tolerance that we've mentioned before is the cognitive process of deciding to proceed with the task or the activity, to change how we do it, or to not do it at all. In other words, do I accept or reject the risk? Generally, we, individuals, work groups, and even entire companies, may have an acceptance of risk that is too high, or varying degrees of risk tolerance within those groups. I deal mainly with construction, and it should be obvious that a worker who chooses to work at great heights may have a higher degree of personal risk tolerance than a worker who chooses to work in an office setting. Of course, some individuals do not have much of a choice in what work they do, and they accept the job in spite of their perceived risk at the time that they accept the job. If you're hungry, you'll take the job working at heights. But over time, even those individuals who were hesitant in the beginning will accept more and more risk because they received soon certain positive rewards for doing so. For example, if I accept a job as an iron worker, and if I don't get hurt, I get rewarded with a relatively good wage, nothing bad happens to me, and so I be begin to believe that nothing will happen to me. And that's more reinforced by the group, the tribe that we belong to as an iron worker that supports that risk-taking. We start to believe that we are in control, although we're really not in control, because humans will ultimately make a mistake, make an error, and something can happen. But that accident or incident might not happen for many years, and the consequence is late, uncertain, and negative if it does happen. So the short-term high wage overwhelms the late, uncertain, and negative. That again, in light of the COVID-19 crisis, is driving workers to want to return to work in spite of fear that they might get the virus because bottom line is they've got to pay the rent and put food on the table for their families. Let's go back to the process involved in risk tolerance and hazard identification. Let's talk about hazard identification again. Most of our jobs are actually pretty good at identifying hazards. We spend quite a bit of time on it. Our OSHA standards demand that we do inspections and so forth. Unfortunately, in many companies, the focus is on identifying all hazards separate from the degree of risk. So all hazards become the same. That tends to overwhelm our safety staff, for one thing, and it can result in an overfocus on low-risk hazards or treating all hazards as if they are of equal risk and they're not. 
Risk perception, do I understand the risk? Well, to teach workers to better understand risk, we need to educate them in risk assessment. Telling them that something is against the rules is not going to cut it. We've got to educate them as to the severity and probability and likelihood of harm in that risk. Risk tolerance, generally again, individuals or groups may have an acceptance of risk that is too high. This requires us to shape the culture, to create a culture that accepts a lower level of risk. Management's leadership and modeling of safe behaviors is critical to shaping risk tolerance in any group or organization. Workers will modify their risk-taking based upon what they perceive as the culture and the norms that are around them. Due to the COVID-19 crisis, many of our organizations are heavily focusing on health processes to reduce the risk of infection while still accomplishing the work. This is, of course, a good thing, but one result of working while at risk of infection is that over time, the benefit, the soon certain positive of receiving a paycheck and the lack of anything happening to you in the workplace will overwhelm that potential of getting sick. The longer the worker does their job with no negative result or no illness to them or their immediate coworkers, the less real the risk will be to them. This will inevitably lead to drift from policies and procedures. The other problem with a high focus on, on the virus is that our time and resources to deal with everyday risks in the workplace outside of the virus is diminished. If our safety staff is overwhelmed with managing the processes and procedures for reducing the risk of infection, they may totally miss the potential serious injury or fatality, or SIF, that is right in front of us. This puts a heavy load on safety and supervision to manage risk while at the same time doing the work with less resources and more constraints. Here's some questions you might want to ask about your workplace. Number one, do we have an effective risk management process? This requires an understanding of risk assessment and a formal process to assess risk and new work, new processes, new activities, and job tasks. Number two, is management, and most important, frontline supervision, modeling and ensuring safe behaviors? The recent incident with our Vice President Mike Pence not wearing a face mask in a work environment where face covering is required is a good example of this. What message was being sent? Fortunately, the Vice President has since followed up with another visit to a location where wearing a mask and we very much appreciate that he did that. It is critical that those who have the most influence on behavior, frontline supervisors to senior management, model the behaviors we need our workers to adhere to. In summary, we need to understand the reasons why workers take risks and ensure that we have processes in place to manage those risks. Managing risk, in addition to processes that identify safe behaviors, must also include education and risk assessment. None of those processes will be effective without strong management leadership, including leaders that communicate expectations and model the behaviors we want workers to accept. So that's it for today, folks. If you enjoy our podcast, please subscribe. Tell a friend about it. Stay safe out there, because what you do matters.